You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Welcome to Season 2 of Another Name for Everything. Casual conversations with Richard Rohr responding to listener questions from his new book, The Universal Christ, in Season 1 of this podcast. As mentioned previously, this podcast is recorded on the grounds of the Center for Action and Contemplation, and may contain the quirky sounds of our neighborhood and setting. We are your hosts. I'm Bree Stoner. And I'm Paul Swanson. And I'm Paul Thompson. We're staff members of the Center for Action and Contemplation and students of this contemplative path, trying our best to live the wisdom of this tradition amidst failing breaks, trying to make it to the gas station before you run out, and the shifting state of our world. This is the ninth of 12 weekly episodes. Today we discuss your questions and the themes of the universal Christ and how does that relate to the gospel and the new Great Commission. Well, Richard, um, this podcast episode is very close to my heart, having Ooh. grown up as a missionary. Mm-hmm. We got a lot of interesting questions about um, what the what what is the new good news uh, and, and the new commission. And in particular, I want to kick it off with this question from Lisa from Kandern, Germany. I grew up in a typical evangelical church in Canada. World missions has always been a huge part of our theology. The Great Commission at the end of Matthew being fundamental to what we as Christians are to do, to go into the world proclaiming the gospel and making disciples. As I've thoroughly enjoyed listening to you three dialogue, I'm struck with the almost audacious way that we've done this this bringing our colonized Jesus to other nations in a way that is totally within our contextual, social, and national frame of mind, often viewing those who we are coming to serve as the quote-unquote lost. She says, insert cringe emoji here. (laughs) (laughs) My husband and I currently work at a missionary boarding school in southwest Germany, and I got to pause here. Lisa, Black Forest Academy to any missionary kid is so mm-hmm. well known. It was where I was going to go to high school. Really? Yeah. So, oh, and I have so many friends who've gone there. So, um, so she says, my husband and I currently work at a missionary boarding school in Southwest Germany, teaching kids whose parents are missionaries in Europe, Asia, and parts of Africa. As I have been unpacking the container of the first half of life, and thank you, Richard, for this analogy, I've been increasingly uncomfortable with how we do missions and how we interpret what the gospel really is. This narrow understanding of knowing God in one transaction to gain salvation just seems so devastating to me now. So my question is twofold. What is the true gospel? What is that good news that we're meant to spread? And what must missions look like in the world today? Mm-hmm. Well, the true gospel, who am I to put it in a form of words? But it is announcing that God has come to earth permanently to stay. Mm-hmm. That the transcendent world and the world here have become one world. Mm-hmm. Uh, as that famous passage in, in the end of Revelations puts it. So I, I admit this utterly changes our notion of mission. But let me try to understand why... God must totally understand our way of of working. If I wanted to create a great people, what I've got to do is get them outside of their country, their religion, their nationality, by saying, go give the message to everybody else. And then you will find yourself converted by the people you thought you were supposed to convert. Mm -hmm. We call it reverse mission. And this woman is fully experiencing this, you know, that my gosh, here I thought I was giving it, and I am. I don't want to take away that she's brought some, some good truth and love to the people she's teaching. But that we're always on the giving side, and the others are always on the receiving side, is a myth, and even a lie. It's not true. And until that changes, and we allow those we think we are teaching to teach us the great flow of the Trinity and the body of Christ has not begun to happen. But I can still understand why, okay, to get this yeast flowing, I've got to get some fervent people 
on the road out of their world to think they got the whole truth. Uh, and they are fervent enough, like your parents were, to move to Spain from Michigan. Mm. Yeah, well, Michigan and Indiana. And mm -hmm. Indiana. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to say, they were beautiful souls that they cared enough about the larger world, other people. So God's choosing some select folks here to go and to the next step. Mm. And it usually takes a number of years. Your first years, and I learned this from my years of giving retreats to missionaries, Catholic missionaries. I can't remember a single exception to what I'm saying. A, a single, both brothers and nuns and priests, that they would say it even stronger than I could, you know, these people are giving me far more than I'm giving them. Or when I went to Nepal and the Jesuits were forbidden to baptize a single person, and they simply went there to give humanity and broadness of vision, uh, admittedly, even to the upper class of Nepal. I just met a man from Nepal three days ago, and he said that very school where I gave the retreat uh, now has been opened up, and they are allowed to. That was a real surprise to me, that they don't impose Hinduism as the only religion. Now, the Jesuits had to wait 50, 60 years for that. But they have created the elite of Nepali society. They really have. They've educated the elite. Now, I know a lot of them will use it for their own purposes. But a lot of them will use it for bringing good news to all the people. And I don't mean just talking Jesus language. I mean caring about the water. Uh, Nepal is a fifth world country. Low Development, low resources. You, you can't get lower than that. And even when I was there almost 30 years ago, uh, all the people that I met, that's a limited amount for sure, but uh, who were working on water projects, farm uh, work, were graduates of this Jesuit school who had no freedom to uh, make anybody Catholic. So they had to wait 50, 60 years. I don't know the exact year. Well, I think you're putting your finger on a really important distinction, which is the distinction between proselytizing um, and converting yeah. and service. Yeah. You know, and I think that's part of what I'm locating in Lisa's question because, you know, growing up a Baptist missionary, we were, you know, technically, <laughs> according to all the churches that supported us, we were there to convert people, right? And yet my parents' work actually oriented towards service. They worked with the Spanish government. They created anti-drug programs, a youth center. Oh, they did basketball they tournaments. My mom oh. um, worked with, uh, took care of uh, some members of our community who were dying of AIDS in a time when that was just considered wow. to, you know, you weren't, yes, you weren't yes. even allowed. Nurses yes. wouldn't even go in the room, you yes, know. Yes. So I think part of what's difficult for those of us who grew up evangelical is that is so much of our entire storyline and worldview. We're here to bring this news via conver converting other people, bringing them into this um, theological mindset. Uh, also, it's a little bit colonial. It's like, let's go More into these countries. Bit. I know. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's uh, probably the yeah. understatement of the century. <laughs> it's colonial. Yeah. It, it is colonialism. You to see that. Yeah, well, and don't there's, hate yourself. Yeah, you right. Just, and so even when I when I look at my parents' work, they were oddballs because they wanted a, like us as kids, my brother and I, to go to Spanish public school. They wanted us to be fully integrated in the culture. They invested themselves in relationships in a way that was very unusual, um, it, because they believed in that kind of cultural yeah. humility. So. I guess back to Lisa's question, um, for those of us who come from an evangelical background, is does the gospel change from a theological conversion to how do I just serve people? Is that what you're saying? Like it's, it becomes about just serving humanity, serving people, serving the world, serving um, our ecology, the nature, without needing to convert? 
let me offer a word previous to service, solidarity. And then let the service come out of that. That the way God emptied himself and came into this world is the way you, your parents, it seems, came into Spain. They let go of Midwest American culture and uh, came there to live in solidarity with Spanish culture and all it was offering them. That led them to service. If the service does not come from solidarity with it is colonialism. It's, it's uh, you keeping your superior position. I'm always the giver and they're always the taker, which maintains you in your superiority and your arrogance. Mm-hmm. And we can't do that anymore. But isn't it interesting that it, it took us this long in history to clarify those kind of things. And I mean, our missionary orders are decimated because the earlier one was so vigorous in its goal and intention. Mary Knoll being the grand example of, they sent nuns and priests and brothers to the whole world in the 1940s and 50s and early 60s. And then we had to face this, my gosh, they're giving to us. Mm-hmm. And that changes everything, of course, the ego doesn't have all the confirmation now of being I'm the higher one, the greater one, the smarter one, the one who is gaining heaven by, by doing this. So our egocentricity has been um, revealed. Mm. This doesn't mean we were bad people. We were again caught in a cultural matrix. That's why I keep saying evil is cultural, collective. Uh, and and you you went over there and identified with that cultural matrix. It seems that even AIDS occurred in that time, Mm -hmm. and your mother had the ability to stay with it Mm -hmm. wherever it's leading us. That's good. Mm -hmm. That creates big-souled people, and if you don't mind me saying it, it creates people like you and your brother, Mm -hmm. who are now the beneficiaries of a much bigger world. Mm you know, just staying in Kansas and thinking, not that everybody has to leave Kansas, but <laughs> thinking that's the whole world mm-hmm. is never going to create big enough people that, for the work of God. <clears throat> I think one of the ironies of growing up as a missionary kid, and I wonder, Lisa, if this is an experience that you have as well, teaching so many missionary kids, is this phenomenon that they call third culture kid, where you don't really belong to one culture and you don't really belong to the other, but you're somewhere in between. And I think the great irony of a lot of missionary kids and maybe why uh, evangelicalism is now, maybe we're facing a crisis in terms of what missions is, maybe, I don't know, is because so many of us kids grew up with that experience of being immersed in a culture that we had been told was not our own. We knew that technically speaking, we were supposed to be converting people And yet, how do you not then just fall in love with the culture you're in and experience Christ there and know that this can't be right? This can't be right. These people cannot be lost. I am not superior. How could this be? When you meet one little Hindu woman, or in your case, Catholic woman, I guess. All kinds of (laughs) crazy Catholic people that I just fell in love with. I can't deny that she's a good person. Yeah. I'm not the giver anymore. I'm the receiver. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And Richard, you when you started your response, the first thing you said, who am I to put into words the gospel, which of course harkens back to what's been ascribed to St. Francis of preach the gospel at all times and if necessary, use words. And that seems to be at the heart of a lot of what you're saying of, of becoming that or that orthopraxy can be the best evangelism yeah. versus the, the, the teaching and the conversion is, tactics. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole order, the little brothers of Jesus, mm-hmm. who just go to poor parts of the world and live there. <laughs> no mission beyond presence. You want to talk about self-emptying, mm-hmm. to wake up each day and place one foot in front of you. Yeah. What am I doing here, you know? In wow. solidarity, right? Mm. Mm. Our next question here comes from uh, Danielle from Tucson, Arizona. 
If all the religions of the world describe God in some way, and one can know God from any religion, is there still a place for disciple-making or evangelism? If so, what does that look like? If not, then the whole foundation of evangelicalism crumbles, and that is what I'm trying to figure out how to let go completely. My purpose shifts dramatically, but then deconstructing is so difficult and so terrifying and I feel like my whole life has been a waste in many ways. How I've invested in the world is now being discarded, which is okay, but I'm so uncertain how to articulate where I am now. Mm. What you see in Danielle is um, an utterly good energy, and that's all that matters. It's, it's, it's your positive energy that changes reality. Your exact vocation, role, career, job, that's secondary. It's your life task, uh, but it's not really your life. And it's your life that generates more life. So positivity is going to create more positivity. But she is, hallelujah, going through the second box of disorder. Uh, I don't know, Danielle, that we don't all have to do that. To come to a point, was the first half of my life a big illusion? That's what projects you into the second half of life. Somehow asking that question, my God, I got it all wrong. <laughs> and not hating yourself for it. That you were uh, wise enough, humble enough, to stay on the path, to come to this moment of uh, your, this Damascus Road awakening has been the work of God, and it all had probably had to happen that way. I mean, certainly when I left Kansas, went off to the seminary, uh, I was a product of pre-Vatican II Catholicism that I clearly thought I was going to save the world, which appealed totally to a young boy's ego. I'll get educated so I can help others. Well, I was helping myself by getting a, a very, you know, uh, admired career in that period of history. So it was for very inferior motives, mixed motives, which is how we do everything. Don't hate yourself for it. That's why uh, God is so essential to the equation. Because God loves imperfect things and imperfect people who operate with impure motives. We, you and I don't know how to do that. But that you've come to this radical humility to see, oh, my gosh, did I waste the first half of life. Deconstructing is so difficult and so terrifying. You can tell she's in the belly of the beast mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Beautiful. Hallelujah. <laughs> that means you're heading toward and already largely in reorder or the resurrected state. And it's often after going through that deconstruction, right, Richard, would you say where you can see the gifts of the, mm -hmm. that you're unable to see when everything looks like folly. Yeah, just fake, fake, fake. Yeah. I was a big fake. Right. You got to go through that for a while. That's the necessary humiliation. Humiliations wouldn't be humiliations unless they're humiliating. <laughs> that's, that's the only way they work their magic. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, where it's got to pull out the rug from beneath uh, what you had built your persona on, your identity on. And uh, in some way, we all have to say, I was all wrong. Mm. But not fall into self-hatred. Mm -hmm. And only humble people will do that. Mm. That's why so many of our saints and even the Bible says, you know, the proud man cannot know God. The proud woman, too, I'm sure, uh, can't. Because mm -hmm. they insist on maintaining that first persona in all of its glory and all, all of its delusion. One of the things that I um, feel like is a kind of a sad symptom of the deconstruction process of the disorder box that you're describing with a lot of uh, my friends who are former evangelicals 
is that I hear in them that language of, I was totally wrong, or I was completely yeah, duped. See? And yet, it, part of the grief in that is that I think they doubt even the positive experiences that they had of God. Mm-hmm. And they throw it all, kind of lump it all yeah, together, yeah. which I, I'm hearing you say is part of it. That's necessary. But to believe that, like you were saying, Paul, there does come a time when you can look back on that period of your life and actually feel the grace of those moments and yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they become true again. Yeah, yeah. You don't have to dismiss them or become cynical about it. It's like, yeah, okay, so my concept of Jesus was very evangelical and it was very much like my blankie or like, you know, Jesus is my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. But the encounters that I had with Jesus, those were real. Mm-hmm. And the encounters transcend mm-hmm. even the language or the pictures mm-hmm. that I needed to let go of. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's hard. I think it's just, it's hard and it's sad because so many of us, when we're in that disorder place, we dismiss every experience yeah, we've everything. had. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> it's without both and... You can't do any of these things. You can't, I keep saying it, ad nauseum, incorporate the negative. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you see how it's the ego at work again. I want to be a part of a perfect something. I will not be a part of an imperfect anything. Uh, But, you know, to just play on two words, uh, what we can't realize when we're doing that is we are not acting. We are reacting. Mm. Huh. And reacting leaves the other party or event or person or institution in charge. When you act, you place one foot in front of the other with freedom. Not because the previous step was uh, totally wrong. Mm-hmm. It incorporates the previous step. So how do we say it here? Include and thus transcend Mm -hmm. and the more you can include the more you transcend (laughs) once you see it it's so clear it really (laughs) is Uh, and uh, but we were so trained in exclusion Mm -hmm. that to turn this boat around and say let's move forward by inclusion and even inclusion of the church that did us wrong yep Part of the deal, Judaism did Jesus wrong, you could say. Mm-hmm. At least some of the things he says about the scribes and Pharisees seem pretty brutal. <laughs> so you have to believe he was ravaged, let me use that word, by the Judaism of his time. And yet, it is very clear, he never leaves Judaism. Mm-hmm. He's quoting the Psalms on the cross mm-hmm. at the very end. My God, my God, and he uses the Jewish name for God. Uh, so he, he's our resurrection person. He's our archetype of reordering. Yeah. Now many have come after him too. I don't want to limit it to him. Yeah, I, and I think an example of that we've all talked about here many times is the, well, especially us as growing up evangelical with our devotion to Jesus. Yeah. And going through that deconstruction and also needing like, hey, Jesus, I need a little bit of space right now. <laughs> but then being able to come through and Jesus is much more freer and and to speak at so many more levels than when it was contained in such a way where it, Jesus was so ordered and, you know, in so many ways probably so white yeah. and so um, just purely spiritual. Mm-hmm. And now the Jesus that I feel such deep devotion to is... So much bigger. So much bigger. So yeah. much bigger. And like, what a gift to be able to to have meet Jesus again. Like, there's a book mm. like by that title, Meet Jesus Again for the First Time yes. in, a, in a Whole New Way. Yeah. Well said. It's probably as hard for you, or I'm just guessing, to listen, to, if you'd go to an evangelical church next Sunday and listen <laughs> to a typical sermon, as for me to go to a typical Catholic Mass. Mm. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I... Uh, I get it. I, I know what they're saying. I know what they're trying to say. But wow, are they saying it poorly. Mm-hmm. It's in such a tiny box, which sounds very arrogant. I know that. And that, that's the danger of it, too. Mm-hmm. If that is said from an arrogant place, it's not so good. But eventually you want to say it from a sad place. Mm-hmm. Just, oh, if they only knew what they're missing out on. Mm. And I know even that lists risks arrogance. Uh, mm. 
But even uh-huh. just the ability that you're describing of being able to say, first of all, to even be able to be there, let alone be able to say, I know what they're trying to say. Mm. It creates a lot of grace and yes. okayness to yes. let people be where they are without so much of that reactionary judgment that you were talking uh, about before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Reacting is not acting. That's so good. Acting comes from freedom. Mm. Well, thank you. So to turn to some of the um, gifts of evangelicalism, we have a question from Janet from Gilroy. She says, I work with at-risk youth in the school system. You shared religion at Spiral Dynamics Level 1 is concerned with cleaning up an individual. I understand disillusionment due to that same religion's tendency to stagnate transformation. However, some children need to transform into level one because they're in chaos. The only religion I see actively reaching out to these kids in the schools and community is evangelicalism. They offer refuge, support, and a message telling them they are loved. They are a grateful presence. What religion besides evangelicalism actively and effectively reaches out into the community to at least invite a non-religious person into stage one? I can answer that quickly. Mormonism. Mm. Mormonism does the first half of life very well. Mm. So well that they see no need or interest, (laughs) forgive me, in the second half of life. Mm -hmm. They don't develop mystics. Now they're breaking through in little ways right now, in all fairness. Mm -hmm. Uh, And who would not be impressed by a Mormon group of kids, you know? not on drugs, not drinking, sticking together, helping one another. I mean, they put us Catholics to shame. See, uh, and yet it's, it's a closed system. So, um, but I'm glad she's, she's free to say and recognize that her evangelicalism is doing some good things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a little confusion. The, um, the three levels, are the, the levels of spiral dynamics mm-hmm. are not the same as cleaning up, growing up. They probably would overlay in many ways, but mm-hmm. don't equate mm-hmm. those two explanations. I probably use too many systems <laughs> to try to explain things, but um, yeah. I think the other thing that comes to mind um, in response to this question is some of what you've mentioned about parachurch organizations. Go ahead, good. Um, that I think they're, you know, to some degree, we don't need to look backward to look forward. In other words, because there are wonderful efforts by the evangelical churches or Mormonism, and I think you, the way you're saying this allows us to, to welcome, to be grateful for their presence, not to reject and be like, oh gosh, I wish there was something better mm-hmm. than this. Um, But to also say, I think we have an opportunity to uh, embody and live this out ourselves. In other words, to create the kinds of level one, maybe organizations or Mm. group centers or, you know, youth centers. I think about the youth center that my parents founded. You know, it was very much to create a safe place for young people where they could just be loved, Mm -hmm. where they could just have a place to go after school. And so... um, I think in some ways we can learn from the evangelicals in their capacity for outreach and just for presence and for love and consider what types of organizations we might birth in our time. Mm. I think you do fellowship. Do you still use that word a lot? Yeah. Yeah. You you do much better than Catholics do. Oh, yeah. When you're the dominant consciousness... Spain, we're all Catholic here. Mm-hmm. You don't need to do fellowship. Mm-hmm. You think you don't need to do fellowship. Mm-hmm. But what you create is a very anonymous kind of Christianity. Huh? Mm-hmm. And this is another one of the gifts of evangelicalism, creating small community. Yeah. And uh, I can do nothing but praise you for it. it, it does, evangelicalism does so many things right. You, you don't uh, grow, well, you do grow beyond it, but uh, you grow through it. Is that a better way to say it? It is. Yeah, That's you nice. grow through it. Yeah. And collecting all these little jewels along the way, which prepare you for the next stage of consciousness. Mm-hmm. 
And so you might think you've left. You really haven't. I haven't left, really, my pious pre-Vatican II Catholicism in Kansas in a certain way. And people who know me know that's true. I mean, I still get excited about the feast days and the liturgical seasons and a beautiful uh, piece of religious art or sculpture still just infatuates mm -hmm. me. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's it's early brain stem development, which you do not change. You do not change. I think about some of what you've talked about, Paul, the um, relationship, the devotion to Jesus, the closeness of the experience of Jesus, and how for many of us growing up in, in the evangelical world, we do have such good training yep. on an immediate yep. access yep. Yeah. to God. It's there, you know, the Holy Spirit and Jesus. I mean, you know, your daily devotionals taught us discipline. Yeah, you know, you our it. love of you the scriptures it. taught you us respect for tradition. Um, I respect even, for people. Yeah. yeah. I, we don't have much more right. in America. I even think about our worship mm. sessions, which I now somewhat cringe over because it seems so manipulative now. But, you know, I think how good it is to teach people to relax their rational minds and be more embodied and to breathe mm. together and sing together. These are these are good good, good training. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. what really changes us is culture, not religion. Yeah, and that was a culture that had many good aspects to it. Like when a young person is polite to me, I almost always know they were raised evangelical. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like if a stretch, they, but okay. Yeah, they'll say sir or yeah. Aww. Lovely. Yeah, it's so true. That's where I found my love for community. Because you know, having mm -hmm. you know these little old ladies care for me in Sunday school, or have an intergenerational community where people would know my name when I was five, ten, however old yes, I was, and then yes. as I got older, to have mentors in high school who like it didn't matter that we were so different, but they would yes. just that yes. that outpouring of love, mm -hmm. and I'm praying for mm -hmm. you, and I think that is one thing that I've. Haven't found as much in um, a lot of progressive Christian communities. Agree. They don't have that that I tightness. Agree. As I said yesterday, we don't do devotion very well, and we don't do dedication very well. And without that, there's not a lot of heart. You pull heart out of the equation, and it won't be long lasting. Like. Our Vatican II progressive thinking, for all of its brilliance, we can statistically prove that Vatican II parents did not pass on their faith to their children. Almost all of them have left. Not with anger, just with boredom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this next question comes from a local, it's from Justin from Albuquerque here in New Mexico. Ooh. And he asks, in regards to having an incarnational lens on the world, I've been deeply concerned about the rise of violent attacks in places of worship throughout the world, churches, mosques, and synagogues. It appears to me that the fundamentalist worldview that have succeeded in multiplying themselves effectively, while an incarnational understanding remains on the fringes. How can we reverse this trench? Can contemplatives evangelize? What might that look like? And I think, you know, we've covered some of these um, ideas, but uh, what do you think about that reversing that trend of yeah. being on the fringes? Yeah, like yeah. The, that an incarnational worldview is more on the fringe instead of a, a central uh, kind of lightning rod for what people think of when they think of Christians in the world. Again, apparently it can be statistically proven that conservative groups with sharp edges, clear mission and message, clear in and out, communicate themselves better than others. Because <laughs> there's something clear to communicate. Mm. Uh, progressive groups, and let's put it in the political realm for a moment. Um, you know, a Tea Party Republicans have a fervor, well, we don't use that word anymore, have a fervor and finality about their worldview that on a certain level is much more, they have the truth, than liberal Democrats will ever have. 
look at our 30-some liberal Democrat candidates, all of which are nice, but uh, not in agreement very much. This is a dilemma I have yet to solve. How, and that's why I, I am glad I wrote the book Falling Upward, because the only way out of it is for first half of life, we do need the best of the conservative. People who start thinking they're in the second half of life. Like Vatican II kids, we all thought, well, we got the new church. But it wasn't really that heartfelt or that exciting. It was easy to join and easy to leave. If it's too easy to join, it'll be just as easy to leave. You had a little system, I'm talking to two evangelicals here, which was a little harder to join. It had sharp edges, it was clear edges. You know who you were and you weren't Catholics or you weren't whatever else. I'm afraid that's the way the ego has to form. It begins by opposition is too strong a word, but what I'm not. Then it can enjoy the luxury and the fruit and the consolation of but I am one with. I don't think that can come till you first experience the differentiation. So I think Justin is right. I don't suppose contemplatives can evangelize. We're much better leading people into stage of growing up or stage three of waking up. But we don't know how to tell people to clean up. Yeah, well, what's interesting about what you're saying is that um, I think it, it touches on the sense, uh, perceived sense of lax morality mm-hmm. that can often accompany... Perceived sense, but yeah, that, that's a good point. That can often accompany uh, contemplative circles or yes. spiritual mm-hmm. kind of, um, you know, I mean, even the Wilbur's Institute, you know, it's like... It's very true. That, I think many people try to just leapfrog over that first half of life container to get to this place where everything, where you can touch into that, I I am one with everything, as a way to justify, you know, uh, unhealthy behavior. Mm. Um, So I appreciate that you're making that distinction and I also appreciate that that there's a gift to conservatism that I think we need to name, which is values, belonging. Mm -hmm. I think um, it's- Discipline. Discipline. Liberals have no discipline. Yeah. (laughs) Well, so um, that's an overstatement, but right. I'm glad I made it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, Richard, don't be extreme. <laughs> so here's a, a question from from Richard in St. John, um, and I'm going to put a little bit of a spin on it here, if if you'll allow me. He says, "How can we remain in our church families when the greater part of what we hear preached from the front and in Bible studies centers around substitutionary atonement?" It's so hard to not get all closed up and judgmental and then to end up feeling hideously superior. It's the opposite of how I want to feel. I would like my presence there to bring only love and grace, but I end up pulling back from so much because the roots feel so toxic. Advice on how to navigate this would be really helpful. Uh, Yeah, so I'm going to let you answer and then maybe I'll... Are these questions, are you quoting them verbatim? Yeah, (laughs) We have really articulate people writing to us, don't we? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. I mean, again and again, they're so articulate. I began to think oh, they're brushing these up, you know, because most Americans are not very <laughs> articulate. So uh, this is certainly an example. Oh, his name is Richard. I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> Richard from St. John, Indiana. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? Uh, so how do we not yeah. become superior in our, you know, in our, well, I've got, these people are just way behind me and like they don't, they just really don't get it and they don't get anything about the universal Christ and how do we not become superior in our thinking or dismissive? Spiritual pride is the most devious and dangerous kind of pride. And there is an ego inflation that comes with spiritual awareness. I think that's why Benedict, uh, St. Benedict and Sister uh, Labora working with the earth as it was largely defined 
as necessary accompaniment to aura, aura being prayer. Uh, if you don't have, and why the Zen teachers insist on Zen tasks, mm -hmm. even in the middle of a Zen retreat, we want you to go and clean the toilets. Uh, and, and he's facing that, that this, and he names it so well, hideously superior. <laughs> because even if you have come to a new enlightenment, it was given to you by someone else. It says little about you. You should be grateful to someone, but not thinking you are of a higher order. But the ego goes through that, what uh, Jung called ego inflation. The balloon blows up for a while. There have to be things in your life that puncture that balloon, that let you know that your superiority is not leading you to be a more loving person. There have to be concrete experiences of that. Uh, I'm not more loving, I'm more arrogant. I'm more falsely self-assured. I'm more judgmental. And I've certainly had to face that my whole life, that it's a temptation every day. When you stand up in front of crowds like I have all my life, being the teacher, talk about ego inflation. I know, and I'm the giver of truth. But remember, to see it, as Richard here is seeing it, is 60% of the transformation, at least, at least 60%. It's not seeing it. I don't think he is gonna get trapped in being hideously superior because he spotted it. He spotted the demon. Now, I don't know if he wanted us to center in on the notion of substitutionary atonement, it looks uh, uh, well i think uh, it sounds to me like it's it's that tension point of how do i remain in a community that now teaches things that are so different from what mm. i currently believe without being judgmental without you know and it reminds me of some of the conversations we've had um about how to stay in communities of mm. faith or do i leave mm. and you said to be careful and to be mindful of the any impulse that oh I ought to or I should, no. you know. Shoulds so and oughts. in yep. some ways, mm. is it part of the is part of the healing journey into not being superior to say you know what for right now being in this environment where this type of teaching is happening is making me feel that sense of like mm. ah tension that's making me feel superior like is is part of the is part of the path toward humility to accept that impulse and maybe allow that to be perhaps by creating some space between himself and this community for a little bit or, you know, do you, am I asking that question You're right? You're saying it very well. I, I think that's the, the case to be made for, for detachment, for temporary separation, mm -hmm. for getting new perspective, from, for pulling back. Uh, without it, you lose perspective. Yeah, and sometimes we've, no. we're, tr we're trying so hard to do the right thing. No. Like, oh, I should be loving. I should be perfectly non-judgmental. Mm -hmm. And we trap ourselves mm -hmm. into another impossible system of... You know, a, a, an example of this that's happening to us right now is even 10 years ago, we didn't use the word white privilege. Where did this come from that now we can see it? Some people had the detachment, the freedom, the change of perspective, mm -hmm. white people I'm mm -hmm. talking about, to stand back and see what none of us could see 20 years ago, mm -hmm. you know? That we started with a huge given cultural advantage and head start, which we took advantage of. Why, well, why wouldn't we? but don't praise yourself for it. Mm -hmm. That's an advance in consciousness. It really is. But I don't remember that word white privilege. In, in the 60s and 70s, there must have been people who used it, but uh, we were just facing the evil of early stage segregation. That was the, the focus of our recognition mm -hmm. of evil. And it had to be. So enlightenment comes through stages. Well, yeah.
That's so good. That's so helpful too, as an example of. Um, and then there's also those who can give voice to that, you know, which may be right. Richard's. And there are folks who are called right. That is their sense of, um, of mission is to stay put in a community, which can be a much harder path. I'm not saying that's that's his path, but for those who who recognize like, well, you were saying earlier, Richard, about their their mere presence there, can sometimes be just a healing or an opportunity to create space for a new way of, or a different way of being in the world or in that community. Lovely, lovely. Our next question here comes from Christine from Lansing, Michigan. She writes, I am mulling over Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It seems as if the meaning changes from my old understanding of Jesus Christ, the individual person strengthening me, to an understanding that, I can do all things through all the Christ around me. These thoughts bring up the idea of strength through communion with others. Strength through so much more than my reliance on the single Jesus, but rather strength through the universal Christ. Could you expand on these thoughts? It seems Christine uh, is maturing at a rather quick rate. Now, when she comes to the full synthesis, as always, it will be both and. You need the particular to strengthen the communal. Mm. I need to surrender and draw upon one loving face to recognize the loving face everywhere else. I need to draw upon one place where universal love is promised before I can risk seeing it in ordinary people where I'm not so sure. So, uh, but I love the way she's saying it. Huh? I can do all things through all the Christ mm. around me. So what we're talking about, and here's the geometry of the cross at work. She's learning to balance the so-called vertical, not that God is up there, but that's the way the mind thinks, with the horizontal. When they're matching and the Vertical has become the horizontal, and the horizontal is, is included in the vertical. Uh, you've got the full gospel. You mm -hmm. really do, and mm -hmm. that's where she's headed. That's directly where she's headed. Um, it's, what was uh, Ronner's wonderful word for, uh, not prevenient grace, that's, God bless him, Calvin. Oh, you went to a Jesuit school. I know. This is, how embarrassing is this? <laughs> no, you should, well, you might have never had this. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you did. Uh, salvation. And it doesn't matter. But, oh, the supernatural existential. Yes. Talk about two big words. Yeah. No wonder you forget them. That in existence, the supernatural is already planted. Mm -hmm. And when that becomes a full experiential knowledge, you have put the vertical line of the cross together with the horizontal. You have a holistic religion. But you can't leap to that except through trial and error. You don't, in the first grade, learn the supernatural existential. Mm -hmm. You can't. You can't. It's only learned by walking the journey of testing it relying upon it and seeing, my God, it can be relied upon. But I guess you're seeing that come through so many of our questions today. This notion of inherent grace, mm -hmm. that changes everything. Mm -hmm. It's And you know, the, the frontispiece to the book, since I quoted Karl Rahner, it's the very, if you open the book correctly, mm -hmm. uh, after my dedication to Venus, you're going to read a quote from Karl Rahner. The only really absolute mysteries in Christianity, that's a strong statement, mm -hmm. are the self-communication of God in the depths of existence. Who of us was told even that? Right. Which we call grace, and in history, which we call Christ. That's the whole book in two sentences from a German Jesuit, God yeah. bless him. Leave it to Rahner. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, that's a great summary point to end on as, as what I, fe I feel like folks have been asking about is what's the new commission? Mm 
Mm, you know, what's mm -hmm. the new gospel? It's like to, to be able to express it in that way. Mm -hmm. he, here is God in our midst, and we, we did not know. We do not know. Let's awaken to that reality mm. together. Mm. Um, let's see it in each other. <laughs> mm -hmm. Thank you, Richard. That's what other word, world would God want us to live in except that kind of world yeah. where grace is everywhere, where God is everywhere, yeah. which is what we thought we believed. Mm. I don't know why people think that's pantheism. Of course God is everywhere. Where else is God? <laughs> 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 Okay. And that's it for today's episode of Another Name for Everything with Richard Rohr. This podcast is produced by the Center for Action and Contemplation. Thanks to the generosity of our donors. The beautiful music you're listening to is provided by Bird Talker. If you're enjoying this podcast, consider rating it, writing a review, or sharing it with a friend to help create a bigger and more inclusive community. To learn more about Father Richard and to receive his free daily meditations in your electronic mailbox, visit cac.org. To learn more about the themes of the Universal Christ, visit universalchrist.org. From the high desert of New Mexico, we wish you peace and every good. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.